0: All right, welcome everybody. Just to make sure you're in the right, uh, the right room. So this is a, a session on mortality improvement and hedging guarantees. There'll be two papers um, being presented. So the first paper that's going to be presented this morning is uh, a paper on uh, mortality improvement at advanced ages in South Africa. Insights from the national level data. Um, Ron Richman will actually be doing the presentation. Um, Rob Dorrington is just here to keep him company. Um, But uh, he did say that if there are any questions uh, afterwards, he may uh, assist in helping. We'll just see how things go. My name is Gary Pelser. I'm chairing the session today. And um, so without any further ado, I'm going to just introduce Ron. Ron is an actuary specialising in reserving capital modelling and risk management for short-term and long-term insurers. He's worked overseas implementing Solvency II and MCEV for a subsidiary of Generali, and locally in several actuarial and quantitative risk management roles. He currently heads up the corporate actuarial function for the AIG group in Africa. So Ron, thank you very much and over to you.
1: So thanks everyone. I'm gonna be discussing as Gary's told us about uh, mortality rates at the older ages in South Africa and also whether or not we can see if there's been any improvement in these rates over time. So the presentation is divided into two main parts. Um, The first will be a discussion of the methodology that we've used to derive the results, and the second part will be discussing the uh, showing some of the results, showcasing some of the results from the paper. Um, I think it's important to present the methodology that we've used for two reasons. Um, The first one is that The data in South Africa um, that are available to calculate mortality at the older ages are very poor and we've had to apply a number of techniques to derive a reasonable result. And the second one is that there's an interesting um, crossover of techniques between demography and techniques that actuaries use for short-term reserving. So I hope that will be of interest to you. Um, And then, as we've mentioned, the second part will be the results. So why should actuaries be interested in population mortality rates? I think there are a number of reasons, Um, even though actuaries working in insurance companies or for reinsurers or for pension funds generally have insured life data sets that they they can use to derive mortality figures, um, I think what we generally find is that the data at the very oldest ages are not credible enough to produce mortality rates. Um, And often these data series cover too short a time period to to work out a trend in mortality or calibrate stochastic mortality models, which are useful for risk management, for example, in SAM. Um, Another reason is that in this country and in other countries, when valuing cash flows for the purpose of damages, um, actuaries tend to use population mortality rates. And lastly, I think actuaries, if they have a view of what old age mortality is doing, are much better placed to advise on issues of national importance such as the cost of old age pensions or the cost of care for the elderly so i think the situation in south africa currently is that actuaries have to rely on professional judgment or, or we could call it expert judgment in a number of areas um, when calibrating the standard annuitant mortality tables um, i think as has done two studies through the csr committee um, it was found that the data, um, the newton mortality, the data after the age of around 85 were not strong enough or were not credible enough to allow for graduation of rates. So what was done in those two studies was to use an approximation from the demographic literature, um, which probably is correct, but does require um, some judgment. Another example is that actuaries um, often rely on proxy mortality improvement rates from other countries. Um, when valuing cash flows contingent upon life at the older ages, because there, doesn't, there isn't much information in a South African context. Another, reason, another um, particular South African scenario is with the implementation of, sa- majority of the majority of the calibration is based on the work performed for Solvency two Uh, in the context of European populations, So there's a little bit of a jump to say that that would apply in South Africa as well. And lastly, when actuaries value cash flows for the purpose of damages um, in South Africa, um, the the tables that are generally used are modified versions of the old South African life tables from 1985. So again, there's quite a lot of judgment that's required in order to to, um, ensure that these... Tables are still correct. So a simple question that one can ask is why not just use the population data to calculate mortality rates? So what we've got on the next slide is a picture of raw mortality rates for males, calculated using the death data and the census data in the last three censuses in 1996, 2001 and 2011. And what we'd expect to see on on a figure showing mortality rates, or what we'd hope to see, is that the rates would increase smoothly up like that. But what we see instead is that the mortality rates are flat or even decreasing in the case of 2011 over there. So what is the problem? Obviously something's gone wrong. So what this next figure shows is the census data for females in 2011. And I think, again, what the expectation would be is that you'd have some sort of smoothly decreasing age distribution. But in fact, what we have is evidence of some pretty severe misreporting in the data. And that's highlighted um, with purple dots, uh, these suspicious peaks over there, for example. And these correspond to years of birth ending in a zero. So, for example, this is 1940, that's 1930, and so on. And you can see that too many people are reporting their ages um, in these years, as well as in 1914 and 1918, indicating that there is some element of misreporting in these data. If we then zoom in to um, the, I guess, the, the oldest people in the, counted in the census. This is ages 115 to 120, again in census 2011. What we see is that there are 183 people counted at these extreme ages. So if that could be true, South Africa would probably have the greatest number of the oldest old in the world. Um, leading one to think that these data are probably not entirely accurate. And what this means is that if you have too many people enumerated at the oldest ages, if you think through a simple mortality calculation where you're dividing deaths through by exposures, if your exposure is too high, your mortality rates will be too low, and there's a good indication that that's what's causing the problem with the mortality rates that we saw before. So moving on to the methodology um, and how we derived results. Um, There's... A lot of demographic literature which discusses that death data are often much more accurately recorded than population data. In the, South African context, um, a pers- uh, in the South African context, death certificates are issued, and age of death is generally calculated from a person's official ID number. So one would hope that these, uh, the records um, created from death data are somewhat more accurate um, than when a person gives an answer in a census interview. So there's a brilliant insight in the demographic literature that one can reconstruct the population based only on the death data. So here's a very simple illustration. If you've got three people, an unfortunate fact of life is that eventually there are going to be three deaths. And one can reverse engineer the population by counting up the number of deaths over there, getting back to the three people, and then using those um, re-estimated population numbers when calculating mortality. So how do we implement this plan? I think there there are two things to consider. The first is that deaths in South Africa are not fully reported. Um, Whilst the situation has improved quite dramatically since the early 80s, Um, deaths are still not fully reported, so we corrected the data before using it using another class of demographic techniques known as the death distribution methods. I'm not going to go into too much detail about these methods. Um, There's a lot more detail and references in the paper that goes with this presentation. Another issue is that if we're interested in mortality results now, we can't wait for the entire aged population to pass on. It's not feasible to wait for all these deaths to occur so that we can count them up and re-engineer the population. So what we did is project the future deaths based only on the past death information, and the point is to avoid using potentially distorted population data. So this is where something quite interesting happened um, in this research, and we realized that there are similar problems and similar solutions in the demographic and actuarial literature. So the problem that we were discussing just on the slide before is that we'd like to predict the future deaths occurring for different birth cohorts, for example, the cohort born in 1940 or 1941, based only on the past death information. And there's a very similar problem, which most short-term actuaries in the room will uh, realize, and that's the problem of predicting IBNR claims, which is where you want to predict outstanding claims and that will be reported in the future to insurance companies for each accident period based only on past claim payments. So the demographic solution to this problem is the near-extinct generation method, and the actuarial solution is the chain ladder method. So what we've got on the next graph is a simple illustration of these two problems. Um, This is the famous reporting triangle. Um, And in the actuarial context, the way it's normally organized is you've got accident periods, maybe accident years going down that way, and going across is you've got development periods. And the slightly darker blue cells are claim numbers that we already know, and the lighter blue numbers are what we have to project in order to derive IBNR. In exactly the same way, one can organize demographic data in a triangle. Going down from top to bottom, you have the year of birth cohort, going across the age at which deaths in that cohort occurred. And the point is that if you know all the deaths, as we were discussing in the previous slide, this situation is annotated with a 1 over there. You just merely add up all those deaths and you get back to population numbers. In the, most rec- in the younger cohorts, where you don't know the deaths, you have to project them, sum them up, and get back to population numbers. So I'm not expecting everybody in the room to recall... Um, See the animation. Oh, the animation is working. Um, I'm not expecting everyone in the room to recall their risk theory. Um, so a quick reminder of how the chain ladder method works. This is the classical reserving method, and the most used reserving method in South Africa, according to a recent survey. Um, and basically, and, and please don't worry about the actual numbers. It's really just meant to be illustrative. One derives a series of factors that allow one to project claims forward. So this is what we're showing. The red is the forecast claim numbers. The blue is how we're filling in the triangle. And that's how the chain-ladder method works. A brilliant insight into the chain-ladder method is due to Renshaw and Varel, um, which is that the chain-ladder method can be represented using a generalized linear model. So instead of working out development factors, one uses a GLM, which is basically a regression model, to work out two things, a vector or a list of the ultimate claim amounts for each accident period, as well as the percentage of those amounts that are paid in each period. And again, this animation is showing you exactly how this works. Here you've got your ultimate claim numbers going across is the proportion of those claims that, be, that we'd expect to be paid in each development period, and you forecast the triangle in exactly the same way. So how did we come up with a model for the deaths in South Africa? basically exactly similar to what we saw in the slide before. Here is a vector or a list of the population that we'd expect to see for each birth cohort. Going across is your deferred QX, or your deferred mortality function, which really says what proportion of deaths um, in each cohort are occurring at a particular age. And lastly, we also fit a function going diagonally, which really represents changes in the distribution of deaths over time. And if any mortality improvement exists in the South African population, and this would be reflected in the death data, then exactly that function would model the mortality improvement. So on to some results. The first slide is um, our estimates of the national completeness of reporting of deaths in South Africa. This stretches from the period 1984 up to the year 2013. And we've again annotated the graph. Um, Part one is the completeness of reporting in the years 1984 up to 1989, and this is at around 54%. Um, That means almost half of deaths were not being reported in this time period. And the reason that that part of the uh, curve is flat is because there's not not enough information to derive um, the change in completeness over time in those early years. The second part of the graph shows how completeness has changed since around 1989 all the way up to 2011 when it peaked at 87%. And what we can see is that there's been a rapid increase in reporting of deaths, um, especially since a part of the... the, um, New Stats SA, um, uh, especially since Stats SA put a great emphasis on um, recording deaths correctly. And the last part of the curve is annotated with a three. Sorry, annotated with a three over there. And you can see that there's a recent fall off in completeness of reporting to around um, 84%. And that's due to a number of factors. One of which is that Stats SA takes a couple of years to fully report all of the deaths that have occurred. Um, and that's because Um, They rely on the post office to get the death notification forms um, to them for processing. And um, there's, again, almost like uh, a late reported death effect. What this next slide shows, our re-estimated population. This is the population age 70 and older for males and females combined um, in each of the years since 1985. And the key parts of the slide to look at are the thick black line, which represent the near extinct generations um, estimates. Um, That's the model that we were discussing earlier. And the blue dots, which represent the census counts of the population in each of the census years. Those were 1986, 1991, um, 90, uh, 2001 and 2011, and what we can see, I think, some of the features to emphasise about this graph is that the trajectory of the near-extinct generation's um, estimates fits the censuses quite well. It's higher than the early censuses, which is something that we'd actually expect because we show in our paper that the early censuses were relatively undercounted. Compared to um, the census in 2011. And the last thing to note is that our estimates are a little bit lower than the census in 2011. This can be because of two issues. Um, it could be that the census in 2011 was overcounted, or alternatively, this could be an issue that we haven't refined yet in the modeling. So that's something we're still investigating. This slide shows the extent of age exaggeration um, that we've picked up by comparing the population estimates based only on the death data to the census. Um, The way to read the graph, going from left to right, 70 plus means the population at ages 70 and older, and we look in increasing intervals, so over there's 80 plus the population aged 80 and older. And what we've done is take the ratio of our estimates, um, the New York City Generations estimates, to the census population at, in each of those age groups. So, what this means at 100% means that the population we estimated is exactly the same in the size, there's the same number of people there as they were counted in the census. By the time we get to around age 90, um, We are only coming up with 80% of the same people um, who aged 90 and older um, that are counted in the census. And what this means is that there's evidence that people are exaggerating their ages in the census. And again, just thinking through the simple mortality calculation of deaths divided through by exposures, if there are too many people in the exposures, your mortality rates will flatten and maybe even drop. Before I discuss the results in this slide, uh, I'd like to maybe just discuss for, for one brief moment um, the categorization over there. We've got rates at a national level and then for four of the official ethnic groups used by Stats.SA. Um, Just to emphasize, this isn't my classification. This is based on the status A classification. And I think one of the reasons, two of the reasons why it's important to look at mortality rates, even in a post-apartheid area by race, uh, the first reason is that race is probably the only proxy for socioeconomic status that exists in in, in the South African death data. And the second reason is that if one has got... A, a mixture of different populations experiencing mortality differently, applying the near-extinct generations methods and also the death distribution methods doesn't, come up, doesn't um, allow you to arrive at a sensible result. So that's a little bit of background. What we see over here is that the mortality rates at the younger ages are ranked quite sensibly, with African and coloured mortality being the highest and Indian and white mortality being the lowest. Um, and this is in line with other studies of South African mortality that have been conducted. What's quite an interesting feature to see is that there's a crossover where the white and Indian mortality, which was lower at the younger ages, actually becomes higher at the older ages, and what one would generally expect is that if a population is experiencing high mortality rates at the younger ages, that could carry on all the way through. This could be evidence of age exaggeration in the death data, and this is the most likely explanation. A somewhat less likely explanation is that if your Um, weaker members of a population experience high mortality there, by the time that population ages, the weaker members have already passed on and that population will then experience lower mortality. But there's not much evidence for that. A similar picture emerges if we look at the mortality rates we've calculated for females, again in the year 2011. Um, The same sensible ranking of mortality rates um, by ethnic group at the younger ages, followed by a crossover The only feature that I'd also point out over here is that white female mortality appears a little bit high in this graph, um, significantly higher than mortality for for Indian females, whereas in the graph for males, you can see that those mortality rates have converged. This indicates um, that there might be an issue with the mortality rates for white females, and that's an issue that's still under a little bit more investigation. In order to try and check and to see if these mortality rates that we 've derived are reasonable, what we did is took mortality rates from the human mortality database. Um, this is an excellent resource for any actuaries who are interested in population mortality rates. So what we did is we took the mortality rates in the years two thousand and nine to two thousand and eleven and calculated the maximum, the average, and the minimum rates in each of those years to, to give us almost a band in which um, I think the mer- uh, the the information in the human mortality database indicates that mortality at these ages should lie. What we see um, from one perspective is that the near-extinct generation rates are bounded um, above and below by the human mortality database rates. So that indicates that the rates are reasonable in terms of the demographic experience seen mostly in developing countries. However, one, one clear issue is that you can see how flat the rates become at the oldest ages, and the crossover of the rates at around age 90, again indicating that there probably is age exaggeration even in the death data. And and that's something that's very hard to escape from. I guess a more reasonable picture is shown by this graph. It's um, for females this time in 2011. Um, Again, the human mortality database rates are shown as the maximum, the minimum, and the average. And what we can see for this set of rates is that um, the rates begin high remain relatively high over the entire age range and eventually converge um, to the average right at the very highest ages. And that's something that makes a lot of intuitive sense. One would expect that socioeconomic status um, or even country of birth would stop playing a strong role at the very extreme limits of human longevity. So this graph appears a little bit more reasonable. What we're showing in this table are preliminary estimates of mortality improvement. So I I must ask the audience that if there are any actuaries performing um, valuations out there, not to use um, these rates because they still are preliminary. And what this is are mortality improvement rates in the range 70 to 79 since 1985. And you'll recall that um, the mortality rates in this age group appeared quite reasonable. What what we can see is that if we look at the weighted average of the four population groups, there's been a very marginal decline in mortality nationally. Um, And in the majority of the cases, there actually was a decline, according to these estimates, um, for Indians, Coloreds and Whites. Unfortunately, there appears to have been a very slight worsening of mortality in the African population group um, for both males and females. Another feature of this table to perhaps look at is that the uh, mortality improvement rates for males and females are both quite similar, except for whites. The mortality improvement rate for males is quite a lot higher than the one for females. Um, And again, that perhaps indicates that something needs to be refined in the modelling of those rates. Um, These rates also are reasonable when compared to the mortality improvement rates shown by the human mortality database over the last 30 years or so. And this last slide that I'd like to share with you today um, shows the ratio of the near-extinct generations estimate for white males in 2011 compared to a number of the tables that um, are used or, have, um, or actuaries have come up with in the South African context. Um, and the various tables we're showing is the um, standard and newton mortality investigation from the CSI. The PA90 table is over there, which is used by actuaries for valuing retirement benefits in some contexts. And lastly, this is table number one in Koch, which is the quantum yearbook. And this table is recommended for use when valuing um, damages, cash flows for damages, um, for the most select population. Um, And it's specified in the quantum yearbook that this should apply to those earning a million rand or more every year. I think we can see, um, as we'd expect, the ratio of the uh, the near-extinct generations estimates to itself is 100%. What we would expect and what we see in the data is that the standard annuitant mortality table is quite a lot lower than the population mortality rates for whites. And remembering that people with an annuity um, are probably a more select uh, population than the entire white male population in 2011. So that's a sensible result. Perhaps the more interesting features is that compared to the PA90 table, um, the PA90 table is actually higher than the population mortality rates for whites until around age 82. And the most interesting is that table number one in the quantum yearbook is higher than the near extinct generations estimates across the entire age range. So this should give um, all all of us actuaries who are valuing benefits using these tables some pause for thought that um, these tables probably should be adjusted. if this is enough evidence that mortality rates are lower than, than the rates in those tables. So a couple of conclusions. I think South African death data provide a very valuable source of information to actuaries, but only after these data have been corrected for incompleteness of reporting. Using these data without correcting them for the bias could lead to very erroneous and misleading results. The near extinct generation modeling framework, I think is quite useful in South Africa um, for modeling old age mortality. And there's another reason for this as well, is that when one interrogates the death data In a little bit more detail one finds that there's again age heaping um, or or years in which there are too few deaths and because um, this is a regression framework one can control for those sorts of um, deficiencies in the data that's something we discussed in a lot more detail in the paper if if anyone would like to look at that i think the estimates that we've presented there are some matters for further investigation Um, the population estimates may be a little bit low and the rates cross over, as we've pointed out. And lastly, from a professional perspective, I think when actuaries present um, to boards or audit committees or trustees of pension funds, I think it's important to acknowledge that there is quite a lot of uncertainty around the trend in mortality rates over time. And especially when presenting results in SAM, um, the one in 200 year longevity risk capital, that seems to be something that would be very difficult to derive on a quantitative basis In the south african environment given how poor these data are so i think a little bit of thought needs uh, or would help to think a little bit about how to present these estimates of capital um, when there's no um, real quantitative basis for them um, just before I conclude, a couple of acknowledgements. Thanks to John and Michael, from, uh, who are the reviewers of this paper from ASA, and also thanks to Rob Dorrington, who's my master's supervisor, for sharing so freely of his expertise and knowledge of South African demography.
0: Thank you very much. All right, so now it's over to you to... Um ask questions and make comments. We've got uh, qu- we've got sufficient time for quite a few questions and comments, so uh, please do so. There'll be roving mics that will hopefully be brought to you, so keep your hand up high so the mics can find you. Thanks, uh, Alexia. Um, just a question on those trends and improvements. Have you considered a potential cohort effect in the South African context?
1: <laughs> oh, that didn't work. Um, what, we, what I allowed for is a period trend in mortality. I think there could be, um, there's definitely an argument to say that one should perhaps model a cohort um, mortality improvement over time and allow for cohort specific mortality improvement. Having looked at the data quite extensively, my feeling is they're not robust enough to allow for cohort mortality improvements. Um, And another reason that I was almost discouraged from trying to model model that, there's a recent paper in the UK context um, in which they discussed the effect of updating the population numbers um, of their most recent census in which the whole cohort mortality improvement idea, um, the evidence for it is much weaker. So it's not something I've attempted to do, but within this near extinct generations modeling framework, one definitely could model a cohort mortality improvement basis. Hi, um, if your main source of, or your starting point is death, death data, um, how do you take account of migration? Because I was just thinking if um, people emigrate, then they might have contributed to the exposure, but then they're not representing the death data, and also vice versa. Uh, there's been a lot of uh, immigration into South Africa, especially over this period that you're looking at since '89 and so on. So all those people would um, add to the death data, but we're not necessarily part of the exposure. Yeah, thanks, that's a really great question. Um, It's generally assumed um, when applying these methods that if migration at the older ages, because remember we're looking at ages 70 and older, is not particularly heavy, um, then one can still apply the extinct generations methods um, there's an interesting study, I think, in Norway, where these methods were applied up to the age of 50 in, in cases, um, and, and that appeared to be quite successful. That being said, I think, um, I think it is a, a valid point, and it's not something that I've attempted to allow for. Um, maybe just the last point to note is that part of the reason why mortality rates could be flattening at a national level and for the African population group could be exactly that, that if people move to... Um, less urbanized areas um, at the older ages that could mean that fewer deaths are being reported and that mortality appears to be lighter which is an error um, that's definitely a valid concern as well
0: okay so I've got one question that I'd like to ask as well um, I think what comes across very really well in the paper is the fact that there's a lot of adjustment that needs to be made to the data to make it reasonable And and one of the things that struck me was, is there a possibility that you end up making adjustments to the data to make the data look the way you expect it, and that then actually influences the results you get? So you end up getting the results you expect because you've adjusted the data to make it look the way you expected it. And if you understand the question. And how do you actually guard against that risk of actually getting the results that you expected beforehand. Yeah. Um, yep. Sure, I, I think that's, that's a really good question. Um, adjusted,
1: there are a couple of adjustments that have to be made to the data to come up with something reasonable. Um, one of them is co- correcting for incompleteness of reporting. Um, and that's done on a demographic basis. So one basically checks the death data against the population data um, and derives corrections according to what would make the death data reconcile back to your censuses. So if you have a census at one point in time and another point in time, then other people dying or migrating, that's how you get your second age distribution. So I think those adjustments are on quite a a sound demographic basis. Um, What we did do was almost sensitivity test the numbers, um, and this isn't reported in the paper um, that that, uh, was submitted, um, by changing the assumption of how completeness varies over time. Um, and there was no real significant change in the results. So I think one way of, of dealing with that is um, sensitivity analysis. Um, I, I think another, another point to make is there were, we did have to adjust the death data for, um, for example, age heaping or lower um, completeness of reporting. Um, but because that was done on a statistical basis, there is a limit to the amount of judgment one can apply in order to derive results that look good. And then I guess the last point I'd make is that one would hope that the near-extinct generations estimates would reconcile quite closely to the population data. And that's definitely a theme you see in the demographic literature. A lot of people try to work out how do you make the estimates reconcile because the closer they reconcile to the population data or to accurate population data, the better the resulting estimates of mortality will be. So almost anchoring what you model using, say, a GLM against the population data does provide some safeguard that you are reasonably correct and you haven't applied too much judgment.
0: Thank you. Any more questions? I'll ask one other one then. I noticed that one of the slides you put up, I don't know if it's possible to go back to the slides, but it was the ones when you were showing the ratios to the HMD rates, so those HMD rates and where your one was in between them. Yeah, sure. Um, I did notice that in some of those ones, the, the HMD rates were above 100%, and I wondered how that was possible sure. to have mortality gra- rate greater than 100%. Sure, so we, we're plotting the central rate of
1: mortality, so it's not QX, which can never be greater than one, mm. it's MX. And the force of mortality or the central rate of mortality can be greater than one because it's the mortality
0: rate in your average population over the interval. Thank you. It shows you how out of date I am. Thank you. <laughs> but it's a great question. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> All right. If uh, we're not going to prolong this. Uh, I'll just give another minute if there's anyone else who has a question they'd like to ask or a comment they'd like to make. Yep, it's in the front on the slide here. <coughs> I, I was just curious, my name is Louis Rousseau. I'm from Genry. I was just curious, how does the, um, the changes in reporting over time, as well as the other assumptions that change over time, how sensitive are those assumptions uh, to changing the mortality improvement rate over time? Because I'm, I'm, it's quite difficult to know how, how those two interact.
1: So if I understand your question correctly, you're asking um, the, in terms of the estimates of completeness, how sensitive would those estimates be to change in mortality?
0: Yeah, it's, yeah to the mortality improvements that you observed.
1: Um, I, I think w- what's worth pointing out is that the estimates of completeness of reporting are calculated over the whole age range. Um, so besides just for the old age mortality improvement, which we've been discussing here, um, also the rapidly changing mortality in HIV, uh, because of HIV AIDS, um, particularly over the period 1996 to 2001. So I think that's a great question. There has been some analysis of how well the death distribution methods perform in the case of an HIV AIDS epidemic. Um, And I think the result, what we basically chose was the method that is best performing in those scenarios. Um, But there could be a sensitivity um, to to mortality improvement.
0: Yeah, so what I I was actually referring to is that the the rate of mortality improvement, especially in the old ages, I I, I don't understand the technicalities, but my feeling is that it should be quite sensitive to the rate of change in the completeness of death data, and and, and does that affect it?
1: I think where will be sensitive is that if the rate of change in completeness that we use is incorrect. So remember, we are allowing, allowing for a trend over time. So if we used the incorrect trend or an inaccurate trend, that could bias the estimates. But um, a sensitivity analysis that was performed, which we didn't report, showed that the numbers were not significantly changed, even if you radically changed the, the estimates of completeness. And the one other the comment I'd make to that is we did allow for particular years where completeness did seem to be different from the the overall trend that we fit um, through the regression framework. So I think that will also help to to correct for those sorts of inaccuracies.
0: Alright, well then um, let me just once again thank Ron for the uh, for all the work that we put into doing this analysis up front and then writing the paper and now presenting it. Thank you very much and I trust that in years to come, actuaries will find uh, the, the work that's been done and looks like you plan to take it a little bit further in future, will actually find that very useful. Thank you. Thank you so much.